Hello friends, this is Christina Kotlis, author and speaker, and I'm so excited you're here with us today for our Y'all Should Be Friends podcast. This podcast will connect you with stories of hope and encouragement so that you can find the joy in your own journey too. Need a pick-me-up in your day? Let's get talking. Tomorrow, October 15th, is Infant and Pregnancy Loss Awareness Day. When declaring the Awareness Month, Ronald Reagan said, When a child loses his parent, they are called an orphan. When a spouse loses his or her partner, they are called a widow or a widower. When parents lose their child, there isn't a word to describe them. I think that's probably because it's not a thing we should have to describe. It's estimated that even today, one in four recognized pregnancies will experience a miscarriage, and in the U.S., 5.7 infants die per thousand live births. If you've experienced the loss of a child in any way, my heart aches with you. And today, in honor of Infant and Pregnancy Loss Awareness, I would like to connect you with my sweet friend, Leah Zapata, who has found hope in the way her son, Solomon, touches people's lives for Christ, even though he's waiting for her in heaven. This is an extra long episode today, but I believe that Solomon's story should get all the time that it needs. Y'all should be friends with Leah because she can teach you how to lean on God's strength in a way that you never thought possible. Today I have my friend Leah with me and I'm so excited she's here. Thank you for joining me today. Yes, thank you for having me. Well, I would love it if you would start and just give everyone a little bit of a background, like a short version of your life story. Can you just tell us about you? Sure. Um, So my name is Leah Zapata. I am married to an amazing man named Milton. We have been married since 2005. Um, We dated for, I don't even know how many years before that, 1998 is when we met. Um, And in in that time, he really got reamed a lot for (laughs) why he wasn't proposing yet. And um, Fast forward to 2005, and the reason we had to wait is um, we weren't ready, and we we were babies, and God knew what our future would hold, and he knew that we had some more honing to do with him. And so 2005, we got married, um, we had a few kids, and now we are nearly 50 years old for himself, and I'm in my 40s, and we feel like we are learning learning how to do things brand new every single day still um and he's my partner in crime and my best friend and glad to have gone on all the journeys i've gone on with him i think that's wonderful well we first met homeschooling which you're not doing anymore but we still consider you part of the community right (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i am a homeschooler at heart who just happens to be outsourcing at this particular time in our journey (laughs) i love that explanation well that brings us to kind of our focus for today and that's on your children and on one child in particular can you tell us a little bit about your son solomon yes so like i mentioned we we got married in 2005 we had our first daughter in 2008. We had a son um, in 2010. Their names are Naomi and Israel. And then 2012 was creeping up on us and we seem to have children every two years. That seems to be our number. So it was time for another child, I suppose. And 
Um, at one of our appointments, there was something that caused just a bit of concern with the doctor. And he said, I think you should go for just this sonogram. It's, it's probably nothing. You know, we see markers like this all the time and it's usually negative. So we went to a specialist out in Fair Oaks and had a sonogram done. And we're a few months into the pregnancy at this point and we went and um, were waiting in the room with a nurse and she came in with a look on her face that told us something wasn't quite right. And she said, the doctor will be with you in just a minute. And he walked in the door and we had not met this doctor yet. We had only been seeing the nurse doing the test prior to that. And he walked in the door, just walked straight to us and said, so as you know, this life isn't viable. Would you like to terminate now? Wow, just out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Oh my. Um, um, I'm shaking <laughs> right now because the, the nurse, she turned around to him and she says, oh doctor, they didn't know that. <sighs> and the sorrow in her voice was just heartbreaking for me because who knows how many times she has had to hear parents receive that news. She, oh, doctor, they didn't know that yet. So we heard the news. We looked at each other and we said, no, we're not going to terminate. And, and he says, okay, then go ahead and schedule your appointment with your OB. And, and we left. And, and that was the appointment. And we walked out, it had started raining. It was actually pouring outside, it was pouring rain. And we sat in the parking garage in our car and we just stared out the front of our car watching the rain pour on the windshield and just in silence prayed, um, lamented, rejoiced, praised God for this pregnancy. Um, rejoice that we were the ones chosen to carry this child and trying to figure out what the next step was. And in the van, um, in the car at that moment is when we knew with 100% certainty what our next step was going to be. Um, and it was to raise this child for as long as he was to be ours. The Di um, diagnosis that we got was called anencephaly, and it's a neural tube defect where the brain likely would not form. Most of the time, the children do not make it to a live birth. Um, so most of the time, parents decide to terminate their pregnancies. They don't want to go through the sorrow of losing the child in the womb or the sorrow of giving birth to a child that um, is already stillborn. And we realized it was not our choice to decide how long this baby would be with us. And every pregnancy prior with Naomi and Israel, um, Milton and I have always decided that we would keep the name of this child close to our heart. Although we had chosen the names of our children it was like a gift we would give ourselves and we wouldn't share the name 
until the day the baby was born. With this child, we decided it was different um, this time around. And we sat there in the car and we wrote a letter. We can't even, to this day, we could not recreate that letter if we wanted to because the words that we wrote in that letter were not our own. The words flowed from what Christ was putting into our heart in that moment. And we wrote a letter to all of our friends and family, basically introducing them to the newest member of our family whose name was going to be Solomon. And we explained anencephaly. We explained that we didn't know how long this baby would be with us, but that it was our job to be his parents for however long God would allow us to be his parents, whether in the womb or outside of the womb, it was not up to us to cut that short. Um, prior to that, the, the topic of abortion is so, so sorrowful to, to get into all of the reasons why people choose that path. And it wasn't until I was sitting there in the car at that very moment that my heart broke just utterly broke for every single woman who has ever been in that moment, that very, very pinnacle of a moment, deciding, is there going to be life or is there not going to be life? And I now have utter empathy for anyone who has had to make that choice and has made that choice one way or the other because it's heartbreaking and that cannot be an easy choice. Our family chose to continue with life because we feel and believe that the God-given value of that child is not up to us to decide when it ends. But for others who have had to make that choice and go in the other direction, my heart just aches because that's, that is not an easy choice. I think we look into it and think that people make that choice lightly. And I don't think they do. Mm. Um, so we, we wrote this letter. We introduced our family to this amazing baby that we had not yet met. And it was then time to go back to our OB and decide what to do. And um, what we did, we printed out this letter, this long letter we'd written and we brought it with us to the appointment and we said, before we see you, we just want you to read this and read our heart. And everybody in the office read the letter. We walked into the doctor's room and the first thing he said was, well, I don't know if we can treat you at this practice because every single patient who has been given a diagnosis that is 100% fatal has always chosen abortion. And we do not know how to serve you in this practice. We need to refer you to a different office. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's been a few times where our choices have seemed to not be the common choices that, that these physicians have heard. And 
and and it solidifies the fact that um, we live in a world that is not necessarily always choosing to walk the more difficult path that God would choose for them to walk. And, and when he said that, when he said, I'm sorry, but I don't think we can serve you here. I think we need to refer you to a different practice. We didn't know how to take that, but, but in the end, the practice that he ended up referring us to was the most amazing blessing we ever could have imagined. It's Tepeyac Family Center in Fairfax, and it is filled with compassionate, empathetic Christians who love God, love Jesus, love people, love humans, and they have a hospice program built into their practice for mothers who know that they are expecting a child that will not survive. One of the one of the main physicians there herself lost a daughter and she created this hospice program, this perinatal hospice program in her daughter's honor so that parents who are facing the end of their child's life instead of facing nursery setup and instead of facing the registry and are we going to do cloth diapers or are we going to do disposable diapers we weren't making those choices we were making choices like um where are we gonna, where are we going to bury our son and um what songs will we sing at his funeral? Um, who do we want to give the message at his funeral? Should we have him circumcised if he's born alive? Does he get a birth certificate if he's not born alive? Like all of these questions is why this practice has a hospice program for children and they are so amazing and they walked with us like family. I mean, they prayed with us when we walked in the door for our appointments. They knew who was there. They they would look at the roster of their patients for the day and and pray for who was coming in. They knew when you came in that you were carrying an amazingly special child and and the treatment was um, beyond what we ever would have expected. And it's so much so that we actually have continued to go there, even though it's, it's a drive and a half from our house, we've actually continued to go there with the remainder of our pregnancies, even when we thought I might give birth in the car, um, because the drive was so long. Oh, we, no! We, <laughs> <laughs> We felt it was worth supporting a practice that just cares so deeply about the sanctity of human life and walking so specifically on such a unique journey that the expertise they showed was worthy of our continued investment in their practice. So, so that is where our care um, resumed. Uh, for the remainder of our pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So 
Leah, you obviously have a very close walk with Jesus, which from the very first day helped to support you. But one of the questions I always like to ask people is when you're in this moment and hearing this diagnosis, and even I am getting like choked up thinking about it. Um, when did God step in? When did you have that but then moment where God helped you to see the other side of, of this situation? Or were there many? Maybe there were many mercies that happened. We only had one decision to make. All the time we get asked, well, we get told, man, I could not have done that. I could not have had the strength to go through that journey like you guys do, did. Um, man, the, the faith it took to do that. And, and when I look back at that, I really feel like we had one decision that we had to make, and that was it. And it was, are we going to keep this child or are we not going to keep this child? The very first day in that doctor's office, and making that decision was out of a love for who God says his children are and that the child we were carrying was his creation. And, and just the knowledge of that is a knowledge that is, is, is so deep that you can't not look at that child as one that you're only, you're taking care of him. So we felt like we were taking care of one of God's precious beings. And our only choice in this whole journey was how do we take care of this child that we've been entrusted to for this amount of time? As we continue to walk through the journey, the way we walked through it was by leaning into other people for prayer and and when people said, how can we help? We learned to not be shy about asking for help. If someone wanted to come over and bring us a meal, I learned to be okay with that. I learned to say thank you because people using their gifts and speaking through their love languages, if they are not given an opportunity to love on you through the gifts that they have been granted, then they feel like they're being depleted of a holy and godly moment. And so through that journey of carrying God's child for whatever season it was going to be for however long, he really opened up our eyes to seeing other people's offerings and gifts and, and those who had the deep, deep gift of prayer and intercessory prayer, we came to notice that and realize that. And in the days where we were just so depleted and, and didn't know what to pray for, mm -hmm. we leaned into those who had come to the come to the head of the crowd as those who love to pray for others. So it was a journey. I mean, this was six months. We, we had the test when I was three months pregnant. And so it was six months. We knew that we were holding a child that 
we were not going to get to keep. And, and it was amazing. And, and I, I tell people all the time that it was the one time I can truly say in my life that I had joy and sorrow at the exact same time. The joy in knowing that we were on a journey that only God could walk us through. There only God. I mean, that's that's only God. If if I had to sum it up, only God could help us walk through this journey and knowing that I was in the absolute center of where I was supposed to be in his story brought utter joy that I could not have put myself into that place on my own. I absolutely couldn't have. And that brought joy. At the same time, the sorrow comes from the fact that this is not where I would have placed myself. If the end result could have been scheduled different, I would have done that. Now, I would not use the word happy in replace of joy because joy is a gift from God. Happiness is a reaction that we choose to have or not choose to have. And I don't use the word sadness. I use the word sorrow because I think sorrow is just so much more deep rooted. And again, sadness would be um, a, a feeling like there's despair and, and something you can't get out of. So the joy and the sorrow happening at the exact same moment. And it's the only time that Milton or I have ever felt like we were in the absolute crux of God's plan that was not to be a happy plan. Mm -hmm. And the joy that came with it was completely unplanned. You know, a piece that passes all understanding is the only way I can describe what overcame us in that moment when we chose to walk wherever he would lead us. That's so beautiful. And I, I think there's so much truth there. You know, when I talk to people, I differentiate between happy and joy in a similar way. I think I simplify it a little more because I always say happy is what happens when you look at like a cute penguin or a puppy on the internet <laughs> and you can't help it. You just, you laugh, you giggle, you smile. Um, but joy is a discipline. Joy is a, a choice. It's something we practice and finding mm -hmm. the joy in those hard situations. Um, now what I remember, um, is seeing you guys on Facebook, having worship in your hospital room, people coming to visit you. Tell us, tell us about when Solomon was born. Now they told you that his life was not viable, but he actually ended up, it was eight days. Yes. So tell us about that. We, um, in April of 2012, we are inching closer and closer to his being nine months in the womb. And, and I'm starting to feel his kicks and his punches. And this is the, the physical mom part that is the, the sorrow part um, that I knew as long as he was in my body and I could feel his kicks 
that he was still alive. And the minute he was released from my body, it would be a countdown to his passing. And so, of course, as a mom, I just thought, well, let's just keep him in. Let's just, <laughs> can't he just live inside forever? Put a cork in it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great idea. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I was sustaining his life. All the things that didn't form properly, all of the defects that may have been present, as long as he was in my womb, he was full of life and vigor and he, he would kick and punch more so than any of the other kids. And, and Milton and I always thought, man, he could have been a, a kickboxing, gymnastics, flipping football, wrestling player. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, like all, all, he did all the things in there. I was so uncomfortable, <laughs> but um, it was just such a, an affirmation of, of life. And, and so April of 2012 came and everyone knew how, how special this particular um, birth was going to be. And our best friends, um, their names are Nate and Jen, they had actually moved out to Dallas uh, pre previously. And we were thinking, what are we going to do with our old, with our other kids? We had a four-year-old and a two-year-old at home, Naomi and Israel, and what do we do? Um, we're about to give birth to their younger brother. We don't know how long he's going to be alive. We don't know what anencephaly will look like, you know, physically, what his body is going to look like when he comes out can a four-year-old and a two-year-old handle whatever this ordeal might be at the hospital? And we didn't know the answer to that. And our friends, Nate and Jen, paused their life in Dallas. And they actually came out to Virginia and they stayed with our kids while we went to the hospital. And they lived at our house. They took our kids to the aquariums. They took them to the museums. While we were there anticipating the arrival of Solomon and then the days that followed, they loved on our kids and they sh just showed them the world. And to, even to a point, Nate had to postpone an entire semester of college because of the amount of work that he missed and he willingly did so in seminary. He willingly did that because of his love of our family and his love of Christ. And I, forever and a day, I will never be able to thank them enough for the gift that that was to our family. And um, we were at the hospital. We were in the delivery room. Because of the perinatal hospice umbrella that Tepeyac has, there's a few um, precautions that you would typically have to take at a hospital that they have a little more flexibility with. So in the delivery room, typically you have very few people that were allowed in. 
Um, but because we didn't know how long he would be alive or if he would even be born alive, they actually allowed our pastor, John Spate, in the room while I gave birth. They allowed a friend of ours um, who's a photographer into the room so she could take pictures of him the moment he was born. Again, not knowing how many moments we would have. Our family was in the waiting room. Um, we decided to have a C-section with him because the pressure of going through the birth canal could have literally caused him to pass away with the pressure on his brain because one of the aspects of anencephaly is that the skull um, does not form. And we weren't sure how much of a skull, if any, he had in the womb. So to increase the chance that we might get to say hello, before we had to say goodbye, we opted for the C-section. And Dr. Marie Anderson cut me open cut my stomach open. She pulled out my ovaries and set them over to the side of my body. And then she pulled out these organs and set them over to the side. And Milton was just in awe of all my organs, like attached, still like tethered, but sitting on the side of my stomach. <laughs> and we had good luck. We had the pictures of this. And, and I've never seen my ovaries before. It was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's a homeschooler moment right there. Seeing all of, seeing your body flayed open and going, it was so cool. That's a homeschooler moment. <laughs> Much different from dissecting a frog. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, you know, as a, as a mom who previously has done traditional births, I didn't, I, I didn't have that, um, sensation of when I knew the baby was out just all of a sudden Milton's like hey the baby's out <laughs> and, and I didn't know it and but I also didn't hear anything and Milton didn't hear anything and our pastor didn't hear anything and and we started crying and we assumed that we had given birth um to Solomon and and he had not survived the procedure and and we we were staring at that side of the the room and um just silence the nurses in the room had been praying with us we were singing um they they were asking about our faith we went in there just singing like crazy and and talking about god and talking about how amazing this journey had been and and one of the nurses is like, I don't know how you made that choice. I, I could not have made that choice myself. And you know what? Because of watching you guys and your journey today, I actually am going to change my mind. I was about to put in my resignation today. Instead, I'm going to go back to school and become a doctor so I can help more people like you. Wow. That happened when we were giving birth to this baby. And that was just the first of many conversations we had. We were sitting there in silence, again, thinking he had not made it. And then all of a sudden, I didn't know where this huge cry, and not like a, a small one. I mean, he wailed. It was so loud. And 
and we just bawled because our baby was alive and we were going to get to say hello. That was, we just wanted a chance to say hello before we had to say goodbye because we knew that would come. Most children with anencephaly, um, I used to know the percentages and you know, mom brain and old brain, I have forgotten the percentages, but, but a very high percentage, most of them do not make it to birth um, alive. Of those that do, most of them pass within an hour or two. Only like 1% live beyond about a day. So we, we had already made it to a live birth Every minute for us was just a countdown to what we thought would um, be the end. And so we, we had our family in, we took pictures, you know, the photographer had a picture with all the different family members holding him, except our kids. You know, like I mentioned, Nate and Jen had come from Texas. They were with Naomi and Israel. They were not at the hospital. We had decided that if the baby passed, when one of them happened to be holding him, we didn't want them to think that they had done something wrong. Oh, that's um, wise. I and see that being hard to deal with. Yeah, it was such a tough decision, and and you know, the first day he was he was full of life. And, and he was nursing. Most of the time, anencephalic children um, cannot nurse. They don't have the you know, abilities to form suction, which is why they also pass very quickly. But right away, Solomon was like, give me the milk. Where is the milk? And I mean, not just like, <laughs> right? Not just one side. I mean, he would go from side to side to side. It was he was hungry. <laughs> so, wow. Right. And, and so we, I was, it was amazing knowing that once again, God in his infinite wisdom created a body that could sustain life. He sustained Solomon's life while in my womb. And then he was using my own body to help sustain his life outside of the womb for a time beyond what we had thought. So the next day, different people from church came, our small group, this is the worship, our, our small group ended up coming one of the days that week on the regular day where we typically would have had our Bible study, they came to us and the hospital as part of the hospice program with with Tepeyac they they help navigate the best rooms in the hospital for those who need some extra space and some extra comforts so we were at the very end of one of the corridors and they just gave us carte blanche to have whatever visitors we wanted anytime we wanted and some days we were up for it and some days we weren't um there were some days where he seemed a little bit um, more pale than others. And we thought, oh no, is this the day? And we would decline visitors on those particular days. And 
And then the next day he would jump back and have more life to him. And so people came in and out day after day. And one of the days Milton and I looked at each other and we said, you know what? Everybody else is getting a chance to meet Solomon, but his own brother and sister haven't met him yet. I think we need to revise our thoughts on letting Naomi and Israel come to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So we asked Nate and Jen if they would bring the kids to the hospital and they brought them that day and it was amazing. It was beautiful. It was, it was beyond um, what I ever could have imagined. They, we covered his head with a, a hat so that they could not see the lack of skull that he had And Naomi, she said, take that hat off. I want to see his head. So they weren't, they weren't scared by it. And, and every day from that point, (laughs) Nate and Jen brought the kids back every single day after that. And we were no longer fearful of what might happen if they were holding him. We, we realized that we were open enough the kids knew that he was not going to get to come home with us. And if that's how it ended up happening, then, then they would just have helped him transition peacefully. And that's how we would talk about it. That would be part of the story. And they ended up feeding him. We, we would give, they would give him some milk. Um, Naomi would help change his diaper just it was so beautiful to watch them interact with him and and now they have memories of their younger brother getting to be siblings that's beautiful yeah yeah it was really amazing um allowing them to see him and the folks from church and our family um to meet him and love on him and that he wasn't so fragile that he couldn't respond to that love. He actually would giggle and laugh. And, and a few days, you know, into our hospital stay, I was released as a patient. You know, I had had a C-section. So, so I was, a with, with the surgery, they did keep me as a patient longer than my other births, but I was now being released as a patient. And free to go home. And there was an amazing social worker there. Her name was Suzanne Garib. And she, we were, we were at Inova Fair Oaks Hospital, which uh, by the way, is amazingly fantastic with, with things like this. Um, Suzanne got on the phone with our insurance and she worked with the hospital and she found a way for me to be able to stay at the hospital with our baby until his time had come. Because one of the things we decided is that when he passed, we wanted his life to not only be significant as far as um, seeing how God's grace and how God's comfort and peace can surround a family, but we also wanted his life to be significant in the way of organ donation, if possible. And that was only an option if he 
if he were presented, you know, into the operating room within just a few short hours of, of his passing. So if we all went home and, you know, came home into the comfort of our house when I was released from the hospital, then the amount of time it would have taken to drive back, it would have taken away that option and that potential of him being an organ donor. And that was really important to us that, that his physical body could be a gift to some, in some capacity to somebody. Um, and so that's what Suzanne did. She, she worked it so that we could stay at the hospital, that um, he would still be considered a patient, although he did not need medical care. Um, and we were transitioned to a different wing of the hospital. And this would become the final wing of the hospital that we would be in at Inova Fair Oaks. That would be where we would end up uh, watching him take his last breath. And I remember him every year because I don't know if you know this, but um, your Solomon and my Logan have the same birthday. <laughs> and so every year I think of him. I didn't know that. <laughs> they do. They do have the same birthday. Um, well, as you went through all of this, Leah, this is a lot, right? And not something anyone would ever want. And hearing you get um, emotional about it makes me emotional too. <laughs> um, but there's so much joy in what you were able to do, but there's still sorrow, right? And as you were going through this and as you continue to go through it, because I'm sure every year and every Christmas, and there's probably just different moments that you miss his presence. Um, is there a verse or a song or something you do that helps you when you feel that kind of sorrow creeping in again? It actually, so the one thing that, that really is very, very strong that has come as a result from this journey is how precious, precious our relationships are and how much value and emphasis we, we put on our relationships um, and how that should be primary. The, the focus of our efforts, the focus of our love, the focus of our passions and compassions to be directed at the people that we love, the people that we don't love, the people that we don't yet know, just how important relationships are. And, and every time since then, you know, he passed, he was born April 13th, 2012 and passed on um, April 20th. 2012 since that day every time something has happened that could be seen as something traumatic we look back and we say but man god carried us through the loss of our son this this thing that we're facing right now he's got this if if we don't trust him in this journey that we happen to be on right now, 
then it would almost be like a, a slap in the face of everything that he did for us back with Solomon. I mean, you know, the last two years, um, I, I have lost employment due to the finances of organizations that I, I was employed by. So two years in a row to have career, um, career changes that were very drastic, very unexpected. And Milton and I looked at each other and we said, but, but God, he carried us through Solomon. Of course he's going to carry us through this. It's just a job. So, so things that could look devastating and could feel devastating, that's something that we've carried with us that he can carry you through so much and and watching how he did it you're it's not going to be the same you know for someone who watches another person's journey your journey does not have to look the same as theirs for you to see how strength can be applied um, it, the, the way that somebody walks through something is dependent on God's strength. And, and that looks different for each person. And what he did for us in that time has definitely informed the way we allow ourselves sorrow, you know, but we, we intentionally seek out the joy, I think, more than we would have before because we weren't aware of that, what that would look like. Um, so we seek out the joy when there is something that happens that also feels like sorrow. That's beautiful. That's something I talk about a lot too, is looking for even you know, um, talking about people's situations looking differently. I talk a lot about no one's trying to win the suffering Olympics. So, <laughs> you know, your situation doesn't look like my situation doesn't look like someone else's, but no one wants to win first place in the suffering Olympics. We all suffer and we can all choose to look for the joy, even in the midst of that suffering. So I think that's really beautiful. So Leah, as we're finishing up here, um, as you went through the diagnosis and the pregnancy and the birth and the passing of Solomon, what have you learned about hope? There were, there were times when people were praying for us and some of those prayers were prayers that sounded like, hey, you guys shouldn't give up just yet. You know, yeah, I know that's your diagnosis, but you just need to have more faith. You just need to pray more. You just need to have more faith. You know, doctors don't know everything. And, and so I kind of, I, I go there and I talk about that because I think that Sometimes we think that things that are sad, 
things that are not what we would have chosen could have happened because someone didn't have enough faith that they wouldn't happen. But a, a diagnosis, you know, that you can see on an x-ray and a sonogram and with blood tests, that was never our, our prayer that God would change the plan. Our prayer always was, what is the joy that you want us to see in that? Where, where is the hope that, that lies in this, if this is the end result to have? And, and the hope that lies in that was that our baby never had to experience sorrow himself. He was able to be enveloped into the hands of Christ before he ever had heartbreak, before he ever lost a job, before he ever had growing pains or the breaking of friendships. He never experienced anything. He is immediately pulled into the hands of Christ before he experienced any of that and and our hope a hundred percent is that we are going to get to see him again and i I mean (laughs) we we just are overjoyed that one day we're going to wrap our arms around him and and see our baby our 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 big boy i don't know you know there's a lot of debate on that too (laughs) (laughs) that's another story is he coloring on the walls in your mansion in heaven or will he be a full-grown man (laughs) either way i bet you're going to be overjoyed i'm sure it doesn't matter yeah so i mean the the hope is in christ and for those who experience sorrow and and things that are just devastating without a knowledge of who Christ is and what Christ has done and the the sorrow that Christ himself experienced um without that oh my heart just aches for those who do not have that foundation to lay back on because they think they have to go through this on their own I would, for anyone that hears a story like this and, and whose story is based in a relationship with Christ, that, that was our prayer. That day we sat in the car when it was pouring rain, when we found out the diagnosis, we said, Lord, our prayer is that Solomon's story will lead people to Christ. And if that means that we walk this pregnancy not knowing what the end result is, then that is going to be how you accomplish answering that prayer. We, our prayer is that this baby somehow will lead people to Christ. And I think he has. I think your willingness to share that story and to share the reason for the hope that you have, which is what scripture tells us. And you've done it again and again. And I, I think that that prayer was answered. 
Just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> One man's opinion. Or woman's opinion. A woman. <laughs> One woman's opinion. Well, Leah, thank you so much for sharing this story with us. Is there anything else that you want to leave people with today? I think it would be that that God is so big. He's He knows what you're going to experience before you experience it. Um, sorrow will not be prevented. If you're a believer, it doesn't mean that you'll have less. If you're an unbeliever, it doesn't mean you'll have more. Um, sorrow and difficulties and circumstances that we would not have chosen. My prayer is that we are able to look at those as opportunities for how they can touch others. Maybe not right away. I mean, it could take a while before you're able to talk about your journey. But, but God can use you to help someone else. Even if they're not going through the same exact scenario, everybody is facing something that they would have preferred not to face. And they're watching how you are responding to those things that you can't control. How you respond determines the strength that other people can get from you. That would be that God, God, he's, he's just so big. <laughs> so big. Yeah. So good. And I just want to end with, with John 16, 33, because I was thinking of that while you were saying this, which is, I've said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Mm. So Amen. Just, yeah. So good. Well, Leah, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your story today. Thank you, Christina, for having me. This is um, an honor and a joy to be able to to talk about our baby. You know, when we when we're afforded an opportunity to talk about him, it it just it it brings him back into the immediate family. You know, we've got we've got another little one running around the house now who would be Solomon's younger brother and. And Milton and I look around the house and we think, oh, where's, where's the other one? And we're like, oh, well, wait, he's, he's upstairs. He's, he's with God. They're, I'm sure they're having a good time up there. And, and he's changing the diapers for us on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we feel that, that there's somebody missing, but there's, there's not sorrow wrapped in that reality. Um, and so, so every time we're afforded this chance to talk about him, it it brings joy and it brings um, that relationship to the forefront. So so I thank you for for asking me. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that y'all will be friends with me too and click the subscribe button so you know when our podcast is on next. 
If you haven't already, visit me at christinacotlis.com and be sure to check out my book all about choosing joy and hope no matter what your circumstances. It's called I Quit and it's available on my website or at your favorite bookseller. Join us next time to meet another amazing person sharing their story of hope. And remember, tomorrow can always be better than today.